Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on stage. You can find me um, on stage, hopefully um, once all the pandemic stuff is like blown over, <laughs> but hopefully in March at Shakers, which is what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> we're talking about um, this wonderful club called Shakers Show Lounge. We're talking about the wonderful human that runs it. I'm going to go into all of that today. We're going to be talking about the business aspects of running a strip club, challenges, issues, dancers, security, lots of stuff, kind of like pretty much everything. And I'm really excited to kind of go into this topic because I've always wanted to do this for a while. And I'm really excited to bring on our guest today, who I'll introduce in just a moment because I also forgot that I'm mid-intro for myself. Uh, sorry, I'm also a digital content creator. <laughs> I have an OnlyFans. We have just launched uh, our Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash stripbysia if you want to keep up to date with all things uh, regarding this podcast. If you want to support, please do. And I was also a former sugar baby for a number of years here in Canada. And yes, going back to our special guest today, I'm really excited to bring Jade onto the show today, who is the owner and operator of Shakers Show Lounge here where I am in Canada. So Jade, are you there? I am here. I'm so excited to be here. So excited to have you on today. We have a really super packed episode. Thank you, everyone who submitted questions. We are going to do our best to kind of go over all the questions that came in. There was an overwhelming response and lots and lots of interest around this episode. And I am so excited to kind of get into all things running a strip club. So it was really interesting. This is a fan requested topic. Uh, Shout out to Craig who had requested this topic and also Rye on Twitter who was also really interested in hearing about, we want to hear about like, well, we love the dancers, but we also want to hear about the other people that are involved with the club and like everyone else behind the scenes as well. So uh, Jade, thank you so much for coming on the show to speak with me today. Excited to get into it. Yeah, we're going to talk about the, the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the business. And the business. Um, exactly. And the business. <laughs> so as uh, Sia said, well, I know her as Kim Chi. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> my name is Jade. I am the owner-operator of Shaker Show Lounge in Wally, BC. And we are currently, at this time, the last uh, exotic show lounge, I guess we've always called it. Mm-hmm east of the bridge so Mm -hmm. i guess before you get into like the okanagan and stuff um they've got more and then when you get into alberta it's uh the culture around adult entertainment is a lot more integrated into society so they've got a couple per city but we are the last um strip club standing in the suburbs of metro vancouver so that's pretty cool it's changed a lot over the last 20 years yeah, and that's really interesting, and we'll we'll go into that later in terms of like, oh my god, there's so many strip clubs that are dying and disappearing, and not really many that are popping up. So kudos to you for sticking around for so long. Like twenty years is a huge accomplishment, huge, huge. Yeah, and like speaking of which, I know the club is doing some renovations, which we'll also get into later. Which I'm like, I saw like a little sneak peek on TikTok, and I was like, oh my god, this is so exciting. <laughs> 
know I've finally gotten the art of TikTok and it's like, you're supposed to create an anticipation. So I've learned I wasn't supposed to expose the renovations, but just show that we're doing it. <laughs> build the hype. And this is a great hype, right? right? This could be a good episode to help promote it by the time it's open again. So yay. <laughs> yeah. Like we're renovating, but sorry, you can't see what it's going to look like yet. <laughs> All about the tease. <laughs> yes. You know about that. Well, we well the audience is really dying to know how did this all fall into your lap? And I don't know, am I allowed to say that you're an HR professional by day? Yes, yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how does an HR professional like yourself find yourself operating a strip club? Like what? <laughs> with a lot of rules. Yes. Um, yes, with a lot of rules. So you know, we we keep it pretty structured around there. I'm also known as. I'm known as uh, the owner operator, but I'm also known as the hard ass. So yes, um, I'm grateful for everybody that puts up with that. But how <laughs> do we get here? Um, so the history of the building is actually uh, a cool story. It's been quite a quite a few different names, but it's always been it's always been a facility with an entertainment license. Mm-hmm. So it was built in the mid 80s and it opened as champagne's cabaret in 1991 and it ran for 10 years wow. and it was actually a live music hub showcased the early sets of headley nickelback what? And my grandparents went there and watched those on their weekends no way yeah so it was a hub for local talent back in the days and shakers has always kind of been the place for local talent. So that's what kind of differentiates us from the other clubs in BC because the other clubs, obviously they have this historical story of like fame with big names and stuff, but we got kind of more of the history of the local acts. So, and like the Canadian acts. So my grandparents spent um, their weekends there in the late nineties and they built a relationship with the owners mm-hmm. and my grandpa, when he worked for CN rail, he oh, decided wow. uh, to take a change and shift their interest. And they actually bought the place. What? Wow. That's a yeah. huge change. So cool. So without any knowledge of the nightclub industry and the Wally entertainment district was very vibrant in the two- early two thousands. We had a, uh, Fierce competition with iconic names like the Dell, the Mirage, Cheers, the Ozone, yeah, right, Poncho and Lefties. Everything was uh, really popping, going off around there back then, and there was a lot of competition for nightlife. Mm -hmm. So my grandparents had to decide what they were going to do, or else they were going to achieve bankruptcy, right? Right, and what was going to make them different. Um, And on May first. 2002 that's when they opened the doors of the first I guess adult entertainment facility and my grandma was the first owner and I remember when I was six seven I would go down there and help her with the cash outs and go play with the pop gun and stuff I spent yeah I spent all my childhood growing up there and it was always part of conversations and then um when my grandpa passed away in 2012 that's when she took a step back. And now that my brother and I are uh, old enough, we have come back into the picture and she's still the highest boss. So (laughs) she's my boss. Um, She's still the ultimate owner operator, but uh, I'm kind of the one that 
makes the decisions for her because uh, at her age, the strip club game isn't really ideal. (laughs) (laughs) That is really, truly fascinating. Like, that's really cool to like, it's basically like a family business. It totally is. Yeah, my, uh, the idea came from my aunt, who was a preschool teacher at the time, but she was actually an MC for ladies nights. So she hosted male dancers. No way. Oh my gosh. This yeah. is so, so cool. Cause like basically I was like, wow, like how, like with your grandpa, starting with your grandpa, and I'm not sure if you know, but like how did he, along with your grandma, come up with the decision, okay, like we want to make this an adult venue as opposed to like, you know, the nightclubs are kind of popping around there and other bars and stuff too. Is it because like there was nothing else in the area that like offered that? So, People probably like, well, I don't know what people think, but Mm -hmm. you can't just buy a bar and open it. No. You you can buy a building (laughs) and then that building has a business license or you can obtain a certain business license for a certain name. Um, And then you can either have a liquor primary or a food primary license assigned to it. And then you can have like a gaming license or gambling license. And that's assigned actually to like a postal code or an address. Oh. when they purchased the building from the family that was running Champagne's Cabaret, mm-hmm. it had an entertainment license already. Oh, sweet. So they were like, what are we going to do with this to make us competitive in the Wally Entertainment District based on kind of the culture, the nightlife and everything that was going on there? And it just made sense to kind of go with it to open the adult entertainment lounge. And it worked. It was successful. Yeah, definitely successful. I mean, they're 20 years and counting now, which is yeah. an amazing achievement. <laughs> and the last one standing, as I said. So Yeah, that's an incredible achievement. That's so, so cool. And then now it's falling into your lap, which I think is so fascinating, going through all the different generations, you know? Like, I, I just wonder, like, does your grandma have any – like vivid memories of like what it was like in the past and like how it's changed now? <laughs> um, well, you. definitely we, so we were reinvolved um, in the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's very different. Another thing is that, uh, I mean, just the area as a whole in, in Wally, um, you're, you're seeing buildings going up around there, the entire it's going to be a completely different space within the next 10 years. Oh, totally. One thing though, um, that we have done and that we've stayed true to, we're really ingrained with that, like local culture of, you know, supporting the local acts, um, but putting like people, Surrey rappers on stage for a night, or I've had times where guys will ask me, can I go on stage and sing? And I will just say, yeah, course like go do it um and i think that we're we're still kind of living through those values of like supporting the community with our entertainment and that's one thing too with our staff every single one of our employees is from wally or from surrey within that area they live within 15 minutes even closer wow um to the bar yeah Yeah. so i don't know that's something that really has not changed that stayed the same the stage has changed. That has been rebuilt. Oh. Um, and officially now the carpet. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> yes. Other than that, in terms of experience, I mean, people used to spend a lot more money in the early 2000s before the recession. Yes. But that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit different. But uh, 
No, I think that a lot of our values have really stayed the same. And that's something that I guess if you want to say, oh, what what makes you stand apart from like other facilities or like mm-hmm. not only other clubs, but um, other like restaurants or why you choose to go there. It's that uh, there's definitely like a culture at Shakers. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you also mentioned like, well, for those who are listening, because this is a global podcast, um, Wally is about like what, like half an hour from downtown Vancouver. So just in the suburbs there. Um, it is changing, as you mentioned. There's like tons of skyscrapers, new developments that are coming around and stuff too, which is, I think is wonderful. And as you mentioned, the area is definitely going to be changing. It already has changed like in the past 10 years. Like those buildings were like not there before. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what's going on? It's so different here. And I was driving. And I was like, what's happening? It's great. <laughs> I think it's really awesome. I think like – and I wanted to touch on a little bit of the area. Like sometimes Surrey can be seen as like quote-unquote rough. Um, and then of course like having a strip club in like a quote-unquote like rough neighborhood, it kind of gives into that negative stereotype that – strip clubs are dangerous venues and then you have people in the the neighborhood which is why like a lot of strip clubs have shut down saying like I don't want a strip club in my backyard or nimbyism how do you deal with the negative stereotypes that strip clubs have and like negative reputations um I deal with this a lot and particularly one of the time um most frequent times I visit this conversation is during interviews where people are hesitant to accept a job at Mm -hmm. our venue because, you know, they don't want to drive to Surrey because um, they don't want to park their car there late at night or they're scared their car is getting broken into. They're like, is it safe for me to park my car in your parking lot kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Based on our location, we're not located um, on a strip of clubs. So mm-hmm. we're very lucky that we don't have um, kind of like a breeding ground for violence where people leave the facility and it's like an unregulated or unsecure space where they can go like fight each other or anything like that. Um, because anywhere that you get mm-hmm. alcohol or vagrancy, there's going to be violence. I think that also another conversation is about our staff and stuff, having everybody from the area, they're very passionate about maintaining relationships with the clientele and uh, maintaining safety of like a place that they take pride in. So it's not just a job to them. Um, They've been there for four, five, six years. So they are, they're not perfect, obviously, but um, they treat the facility in a way where when our eyes aren't on them, we know that they're doing their job properly. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so did good I, to hear. Makes people... I didn't no, know, but like, did I answer the question properly? Yeah, no, you're, you're okay, good. good. <laughs> well, I guess going on along the lines of safety, how do you guarantee the safety for, well, not only the dancers, but also your staff and also the patrons? So... Obviously, we have the same kind of regulations as any other liquor primary facility. We have to serve alcohol, let people in with uh, within the regulations of the British Columbia Liquor Licensing and Control Act. So you have to be of 19 years old uh, with government issued ID to come into the facility and then you get your subject to full uh, pat down and check and then also CCTV camera 
at all in within all spaces of the facility. So you're on camera at all times and um, you are subject to a pat down and full search. Uh, you also can't bring big bags in where you can conceal stuff. So no weapons are going to be entering the facility. And if, I mean, to my knowledge, uh, we've had stuff seized that people have tried to get in. So you know how they say like, oh, 99% of stuff is seized. And then it's like the whole black market of stuff yeah. that gets missed. Um, we try to be really, really gr- good with that. Um, yeah. So problems don't occur. And then if a fight breaks out, like I said, where any any place where there's alcohol and uh, aggression fueled, not just in a strip club, um, I have the the servers and the staff are trained to protect the safety of the patrons who are in the bar and where like they would remove bottles or cups um, and just make sure that the space is secure. And uh, yeah, they're on camera at all times. Like you're on camera during a, a VIP dance. Um, unless you're in the bathroom, you're good. If yeah, you're in the bathroom, <laughs> definitely don't camera <laughs> in the bathroom. <laughs> So, and then also as um, a bartender, I am really, really careful to like, so I also, as an owner operator, I also bartend sometimes. So I, I'm in there fu- fully um, seeing the action firsthand, yeah. you know, I'm um, interacting with people, but it, it's a really valuable experience. I'm the type of owner that interacts with people and builds relationships with people. And it's really valuable because um, I cannot create a business that is my patron that's worth spending money on, like for my customers, if uh, I don't know what they want, right? I want to sell them the product that's worth um, their value. So I, that's super important to like listen to their needs and we're always taking the feedback, but uh, I won't overserve people. So that's a really big thing too, is that I, we prioritize um, our general manager. She's a female too. So and she's been bartending for 25 years. Uh, she actually taught me that. Oh. That it's super important. Never, ever overserve someone. There's no amount of money in the entire world that's worth overserving someone. Because yeah. even if you didn't get caught, it's like they'll become violent. They'll throw up. There's these consequences. So that's one of the most important things about um, protecting safety as well, is making sure that you're aware of uh, liquor service and how much people are drinking and stuff. And our Servers are really good at communicating that too. Yeah, definitely. Like, because that's like a huge liability. Like, I'm also a server, like super, super part-time at a hotel um, <laughs> every once in a while. And yeah, it's, they're super anal about like, hey, make sure you don't over-serve people because like the minute they leave your establishment, they can come back to you and it can also be like a huge, huge, huge liability. And that's like something you don't really want to get your hands dirty. No, you never, you never want um, – I learned that super young, like with my first serving job where it's like, oh, if they leave and they get in the accident or anything, they, and the question they ask is, where did you come from? Yeah. Because the person that's served the alcohol is going to bear the burden of responsibility for that. But also there's so many consequences or implications of someone that is intoxicated um, inside the bar too. Yeah. You know? And we've seen that firsthand, whether they get hurt or I've watched a guy we watched a guy last year on Super Bowl um and it wasn't even like an aggressive aggressive fight it was um he fell down and like almost broke his leg oh my god and it was just because he tripped over a chair and stuff so it's like accidents can happen even if it's not 
an aggressive altercation between two people. So yeah, just we have to take into consideration that stuff. And another thing for safety that I uh, am really proud of the guys for, um, I say guys because all of our security guards are men, but um, they're all trained on first aid and they keep their first aid uh, certifications up to date just so they're always able to perform with confidence and protect themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're great. They're awesome. Like they're so, <laughs> so freaking quick. Like <laughs> I remember. They are quick. Yeah. Yeah. No, which is great. Cause you want them to obviously respond like, <laughs> and just be on their toes all the time. Cause like, I remember I was on stage like last time or like last time I was like booked and one of the patrons in front row, like, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to touch the dancers. Okay. People listening, you're not supposed to touch any of the dancers. Um, but one patron did. And then I like turned around and the next thing you know, like the bouncer came all the way from like the door, all the way to the other side of the club. <laughs> and the guy was like, what just happened? I know they're so quick that sometimes I have to remind them that I'm like, Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I have to remind them that I'm like, it's everybody has a first time in a club where they need to learn the rules. And as long as they're respectfully learning the rules, I'm like, okay, they can, you know, have another chance. Yes. And then another <laughs> chance is out the door after that. But yeah, exactly. Cause you know, some people like maybe it's their first time in the club or they just don't know, or it's just your birthday and they're just having so much fun. Yeah. Like they'll just, <laughs> they need to know. you can't do that shit again. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that again. No. <laughs> Another comment I was going to say when you were speaking, um, I really think it's so admirable that you're an owner operator that you're you're actually there working as well. Because I know so many other businesses that like the owner is just like never there. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, um, it's definitely been a learning experience and it's been really humbling. The staff have taught me so much and I was definitely when I came in like, I was young and I was, um, I put the cart before the horse and I was like, I know everything about this industry I've never worked in before. Um, (laughs) And it took me a while to kind of like sit back and allow and like relinquish, um, relinquish, I guess like ego is the word, like relinquish my ego and like let them uh, kind of guide me and like trust them and stuff. Um, And that's what I think one of the biggest things is trust and the staff are really, really awesome. And I'm really grateful that the dancers trust them so much too, because the relationships that we've built with people in the industry for years, um, I'm, I was really blessed that I got to come into that. Like I said, we repossessed the bar, um, from the gap from 2012 Mm -hmm. to 2020, uh, once again in 2020, and we got to come into the bar and, um, into shakers and, get this whole um, like team of people that were really awesome. And like, it could have been a completely different story, but it wasn't. They rock. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so good to yeah. hear. Like it really just sounds like a really like family type vibe that you could really fight like a family too. So. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> Well, I mean, on this along the same lines, like with the pandemic and stuff happening too, and like with the staffing shortage across all hospitality sectors, are you also experiencing like something similar? Or like I know you mentioned a lot of your staff have been there for like four, five, six years and stuff, but it's a hard one. Um, I think that one of the things that 
has been really challenging, but also really we're really grateful for is their patience with us as like, you know, last year we were only allowed to be open until 11 PM because of the liquor sales restrictions. So everybody's hours got cut, um, way like significantly, um, compared to what they were used to working. And so I think that, uh, we haven't experienced shortages, but we have, we've haven't been in the position to hire uh, specialized team members or hire to a specific uh, mm-hmm. criteria. So not yet, but I know that given the pandemic ends one day, <laughs> I know it will. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It'll end. I know that um, there will, will be trouble yeah, again. Be- but I think, I also think that, um, never mind. I'm not going to say. Gonna it. say. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I think that it's like the funding and like government supports and stuff for the hospitality industry are not very good. And no, it's true, I definitely think that there should be more support for people that are um, definitely more vulnerable, like being maybe like uneducated or like in their not uneducated, but like unskilled or like um, in their education or something like they are more vulnerable and they don't have like as many supports. And I just don't, don't think that uh, the government resources were um, as lucrative or as supportive. Totally. As yeah. I, I mean, I, I've just been really, really hearing a lot of the struggles that even like the hospitality industry, like the, I have like a, a few like restaurant owner friends too. And they're like, there has been like little to no support from the government during the pandemic, or it's been like really, really tricky to get that kind of funding to get access to it. So like, it's not the first time I've heard that before, unfortunately. So yeah, our government can definitely use a lot of improvement for sure. <laughs> I know I was like, for example, obviously the bar is closed right now. We took a bit up. Uh, bad closure on the and for uh, this is kind of some an explanation of something that like people don't understand right so people are like oh why did you guys close right now and nobody else did right and that's something where right now um so our liquor license is a liquor primary license and then the other clubs downtown they might have a liquor or a food primary license right so that means that they have a kitchen And they serve alcohol in regulation with their food. So they don't have to close. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, But for me personally, I lost a significant amount of my income since I do work there. And uh, there was with the government supports and stuff, I had a 44% reduction. And the requirement was 50%. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) when people sometimes people look at me and they're like oh you have a degree but but you're working here and like I'm like oh yeah Uh, (laughs) I'm like that's why though like I had a 44 percent reduction in my my income from working there and uh I was six percent off of meeting that requirement which is so shitty that is really shitty I'm sorry to hear that that's okay but that's what I'm that's it's the barriers to achieving the support suck definitely absolutely and it's it's not the best time right now I mean the last couple years have been super not great (laughs) yeah with pandemic and stuff too it's really tricky to have the clubs open with 
you know, entertainment being like a contact. I was going to say contact sport. (laughs) (laughs) It can be. It can be. If you, you, with consent, ask for that experience and the (laughs) consenting party, like. (laughs) By all means. (laughs) By all means, like a little flag football. Um, But yeah, if you're going in, if you want to ask me how I kept the club open for the last year through the pandemic. Yeah, that's exactly um, where I'm going. So like you already know, like how, how was that? So it was hard, but I think that a lot of it had to do with enthusiasm and a lot of passion from the beginning. Like I was, we went in in August, 2020 and my grandma was like, well, actually, so I graduated from UBC in 2019 with my bachelor of arts specialization in political science. And I graduated competitively in the country's from the country's best political science program. And on Thanksgiving, I went to the bar and I'm, uh, it was my first night ever managing. Okay. And my grandma, my grandma sends me this message and she says, Jade, you're finally fulfilling the legacy of this family. I've never been so proud of you in my entire life. Oh my God. Like, I mean, I have a damn degree, grandma. (laughs) You watched me cross the stage at UBC and it's like, well, but that's the family values, right? So I don't get to choose. So (laughs) what's important to me isn't important to her. So I finally fulfilled the family legacy by kind of uh, following in these footsteps. So I was really fueled by the the beginning of um, this new chapter mm-hmm. when we took over in August. And that was when the pandemic was kind of slowing down. And then uh, everything picked back up in September 2020. And then it got worse and worse. And I think that I was just in that never give up headspace. I was like, we're not going to there's nothing that can make us give up. And then I, like when we were, we got, we eventually we had to close in um, April and May for when all indoor dining was closed. And that was just, it was devastation. I remember that. I I was like my identity. I didn't know who I was anymore (laughs) because I couldn't go hard on a couple (laughs) nights of the weekend. So, um, but it's true. It, um, having that part of my life it's like it keeps me active from my desk job um Mm -hmm. I was talking to my doctor who I regularly check in with about my mental health and I told her yeah I'm working seven days a week but like two of them are bartending and like it's great she's (laughs) like okay like I think this will work and um and and it did and it and it when we had to close I was um sad because And I think that the reason why we stayed open for so long was because I pushed my grandma every time there was some kind of public health order. I was like, we got this, we got this, we got this. And I pushed our manager, we got this. And we updated our safety plan and we just tried every single idea that there was. Um, We stopped doing VIPs in November of 2020 and we were open from... November until April with no VIPs and we just had stage shows and um sold drinks uh which was something that I guess the club has never done since it opened like there's never been a time where you couldn't get a dance yeah ever um but it was we 
I remember walking into the room, into the dancer room, and it was um, three girls in there. And I was like, we can't do dances tonight. I, I don't know what to do. And then we, um, they're like, well, my customers are here. Like, can I go hang out with them? And we'd figured out that they could go under on like these undercover missions on the floor <laughs> in their civilian clothes. So they just had to bring a change of clothes. Yeah, and, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, remember? And then I, so I would text the girls every, before every shift or before like the new round and be like, remember to bring an outfit that you like. Cause you know, sometimes you'll come to work and like your sweatpants and outfits. Yes, so always. Yes, always. Because, <laughs> yeah. So some people don't want to wear that on the floor. Some people really do. Um, but I was like, just go, you have to go undercover on the floor and like wear a mask and all this. So we, just tried to create like a different experience and um, you couldn't give a dances no, but you uh, could still perform as your like dance yourself on stage. But uh, there, we had to really limit the contact. Yeah. And I'm so glad you did. Like, I'm really, really glad that that was put in place. Cause like, I was like, I was also booked during that time too. I think that was like my very first time at Shakers was like last year in 2020, I think like February or something. And I'm just like, what is going to happen now with all these like restrictions? Yeah. So that's really cool that you were able to innovate because I, I think that's where, where some businesses thrive where you're like, okay, I'm in a sticky situation. I need to think of think like on my feet to figure out what the hell I'm going to do next. And I think you guys did a great job in pivoting. Really Thank you. Job. Yeah. I think that that was – I, I think that part of it, though, was the enthusiasm that I had from it being new. And I was so I took a lot of pride in um, it being a family value and being growing up beside something and then finally being trusted by my family um, and by my grandma and by um, the people that I love to make decisions on behalf of all of us, right? Because this is our name. Yeah. Um, I was super fueled and you know, we were always discussions every single day. And it was like, it felt like um, we could never win. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't have that enthusiasm now. I definitely am enjoying this break and this renovation yeah. and uh, it's really nice, but I'm really stoked to get back. And uh, yes. we have a lot of really cool stuff that's going to be planned and that's going to, we're going to announce. Oh, I'm excited. Like, when can you say when you're slated to reopen again? Um, well, we wanted to open. I talked to my grandma about this um, actually yesterday. And mm-hmm. we wanted to open, obviously, on the 18th. But we're like, <laughs> there's not going to be any change. Uh, we're going to have to get a little food truck or something outside. Ooh. I was thinking mac and cheese or something. <laughs> so if anybody has any ideas or feedback about what they would like to eat uh, because we have to be serving food to be open. So slide in the DMs. Yeah. Um, because I would love to serve food that people actually want to eat. Um, I would love but- that too as a dancer. Like, cause I'm like, what should I order from DoorDash? <laughs> like- yeah. Right. I was thinking a mac and cheese food truck. Yes, please. I would love yeah. that. That, oh my right? God, that'd be so good. <laughs> so we're, we're going to plan for February 1st, just cool. because there's no difference from it for me and I'll give it a little bit more time. I feel like the 18th is tomorrow. Yeah. But it's so <laughs> so suddenly it's around the corner. <laughs> Literally, that's, that's great. But, but uh, there's a couple more things that we want to do now. And we've got, my grandma's been there every day and she's super passionate about 
it coming to life now. And instead of her painting her house every day, now she gets to paint the bar again. (laughs) (laughs) Quick, quick random question for you. Like, did you ever, did you always know that you were going to kind of go back into the family business or was this something that was like, when you graduate, they're like, okay, I'm just going to just try this and see how it goes. Um, I had no idea. No, I was, I, I was out for, uh, lunch with my, um, I was out for lunch with my aunt, I think. And she was like, don't tell anyone, but we're doing this. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And then, uh, a conversation happened and, uh, a week later, that's, we were oh my there. God, are you serious? Were you, yeah. were you nervous or scared at all? Like, <laughs> um, I was really excited. Oh, great. That's so good to hear. Yeah, no, I was super stoked. I, I needed something new. I was um, also, I have a marketing background. So I mm-hmm. do human resources and marketing um, during the day. Yes. So that's my day job. And I was so excited to dig my hands into the marketing aspect of yeah. uh, this role. And that's kind of something that I've, really taken over and that I wish I had more time for. And that as I, um, as I automate processes more with the bar, because it needs an update, um, innovation and stuff. Although innovation isn't always the answer to everything, I believe. True. Um, True. innovation, yeah, you can't <laughs> rely on things that don't have proven results, like, <laughs> but, um, and technology, I think innovation is a marketing strategy, but, um, technology and stuff um I do need to innovate some of my methods and as I do I really want to prioritize the marketing aspect of the bar with um the media and the themes and that's our first step with the renovations and stuff is really creating an experience that people enjoy Mm -hmm. that more people enjoy too and that it's not uh, and I think we're going to talk about this more is kind of the future of the industry Um, yeah yeah and it's creating something that is not only for like an old white man. Right. Yeah. Because I think that's part of the stigma too, is that um, adult entertainment facilities or like exotic show lounges or strip clubs are only for one type of customer. Right. Right. That's so true. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I've spoken about that a little bit, just a little bit on, on the show, but it's like, again, like another stereotype Mm -hmm. and it's really cool and progressive to hear that you want to kind of move away from that. So. Well, I mean, old white men are totally welcome. Like, they can come as much as they want. I love yeah. them. But <laughs> everyone's welcome. Like, young women, too. It's like, all of my friends love it. Um, all of, yeah, I don't know. I, I was really, I thought it was really rad um, that when I, because when I posted that um, I was jumping on the pod with you, mm-hmm. a bunch of my UBC colleagues reached out and was like this is so cool and I've actually yeah. never had engagement from them on this topic oh before. yeah so that was really cool. cool that and I hope that they they listen and I hope that they're listening so shout out if they are yeah. um, I hope that they've learned something I hope so too <laughs> please stick around because there's lots of juicy questions that are coming at the end of the show <laughs> which I'm excited for but I kind of want to wrap this up at least this first portion um but I wanted to kind of go into um any challenges, if you have any, if there are any, um, you being a woman in like a sea of like male owned and operated strip clubs, like what has that experience been like for you? 
So I think that, um, and this is something that I was thinking about too, because I think that being a woman in a male dominated industry is a question that every single woman that's a manager or a boss or an owner um, faces or gets. And this is something that I've been thinking about for the last couple of days because I was like, what has actually been my authentic experience with this? Because I don't think, I don't think that there's anything wrong with a man being an owner or a boss or anything. It's like, that's just, sometimes the world is the way the world is, but there's this phenomenon that I learned about um, in school and it's a political phenomenon called the enemy inside. And it's about negation of like girls loving girls. And Mm -hmm. it's like the animosity that women feel towards women. So like, I think that one of the largest challenges that I've felt is the enemy inside and like dealing with like animosity towards our from uh, other women. Right. Um, yeah. That's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. So I think that like nobody ever wants to listen to um, the young girl in power. Mm-hmm. So yes. I've dealt, I've dealt, dealt with it from like dancers. I've dealt with it from colleagues. Sometimes I've dealt with it from so many different situations and it's like, it doesn't matter if you're the owner operator. I think that um, women are actually the worst people in a male dominated industry. They are. Because they are. <laughs> they, they definitely are. Because like women can fuck their way to the top. Sorry, can I say that? Yes, you can swear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like women can fuck their way to the top. But as soon as I want to give them feedback about something that they've done wrong or like something like any kind of feedback hey, I need you to show up on time or like, hey, I need you to um, not like one of the biggest things is when people want to leave early and I'm like, I'm paying you to be here until midnight. And then I'm the enemy. I'm the biggest bitch in the entire world. Like they they can't believe that I, how dare I ask them to stay here until midnight or like, how dare I I ask them to go on the floor and work. So I think that I don't know if that's like a new dynamic or I think that that's like, just female human nature and you deal with that with any kind of mm-hmm. boss or manager role or power dynamic when I don't know if it's because I'm like a relatively new person I don't think it is but I think that it's just has to do with like how can she tell me what oh, to do totally. um yeah. because like sometimes women if they're they receive feedback from like a male power figure um they feel more like shame or like guilt but like if it's from a female one they feel more like anger or resentment yeah absolutely like women unfortunately can be so catty and competitive against each other and i fucking hate that yeah so i think that that's (laughs) one of the biggest ones is learning how to navigate one of the biggest challenges personally if we're going to talk about women and being a woman the biggest one is learning how to navigate how to successfully navigate like productive conversations give feedback, be a friend, be a supporter, be a boss and like be wear all these different hats that are productive, like that I'm supposed to wear, Mm -hmm. but also like have a, a, yeah. There's a fine balance. There is, but I I also cannot control like the emotions or um, reactions or um, ultimately like the human nature of another person. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's just how people are conditioned. So Totally. 
that's a great answer. Like that's totally not what I expected. So yeah, I have another, uh, one of the biggest challenge, that's not the biggest challenge about the industry though. And I think that the industry is seeing something much worse. What, what do so, you think that is? You want to go um, I actually, so I asked my grandma this too, because I wanted to know what's the biggest challenge that she thinks. Yeah. And her answer and mine are the same, but in different contexts. Okay. So she said, so the biggest challenge, and I'm sure that you're going to totally agree with me because this is a, to- a huge conversation. Okay. Uh, but I just want to tell you that I can agree with it. The biggest uh, challenge is the internet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So my grandma. It's a bigger beast. Said, <laughs> my grandma said that the biggest challenge on the internet is porn. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then she's like, you can go watch porn just to click your fingers. And I was like, that's not a problem because, well, I mean, she's entitled to her own feelings, but mm-hmm. I think that one of the things with the differentiation between like um, exotic online entertainment or like content is that um, in a strip club, like you're still getting human interaction and yes. like human, like and personalized time. community, like company, like that's a way different experience. Like you Very cannot different. digitalize that. No, you cannot digitalize that. Which is why I just like don't think that technology is taking over the world. So I think that the authentic connection between humans that you get in the club is like really um, the basis of like why there's a future. Yeah. But I think that the internet um, is the biggest problem for the industry because of the regulation. Okay. Yeah, so the marketing regulations and how the big tech companies are writing their rule books for what we're allowed to market and how they're leaving the marginalized businesses out. That makes a really good point. Yeah, really so point. Yeah, absolutely. Facebook and Instagram and everybody that ha- and TikTok that has these community guidelines. Yeah. They are like the millionaires, billionaires, like the richest people in the world and they're writing the rule books for what small businesses and are not allowed to use. post. Yes, exactly. And it's yeah, so, like censorship. Yeah. So the then the marketing, um, us, us being able to like find our target market and like market online, which technically your um, online consumption and like what you're consuming for social media impacts your behaviors and all this. Like mm-hmm. if you see an ad for something, you're like, I want a cold drink. Like I want to go to this place. Yeah. I want to meal from this place and it's like if you if I cannot penetrate that with my marketing because it's impossible like I don't meet the regulations because um I'm a business that uh sells sex work then I cannot reach my target market right which yeah that's the hardest that's 100% the hardest part yeah about the business because you cannot penetrate that like once you're shadow banned and once like Facebook or Instagram same company losing your account everything yes Exactly. And it's like really, really hard to get back. It's really, really hard to get out of that hole once you're labeled as not a good candidate for their platform. Totally. Yes. Oh, so good. So good. I love that. And I haven't done an episode on that in a long time, but I did, who did I speak with? Censorship guidelines. I have done an episode on that before, but maybe I'll have to revisit it. So thanks for the inspo. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, no, I was, that one's really, really, it drives me crazy. And like have, when people are like, oh, can you post my photo? Oh, this. And it's like having to make the decisions not based on 
what makes people feel good, what makes people feel beautiful, what makes what's going to like drive business and having to do it based on what's going to keep your account online and what's going to keep you visible is really challenging. It's very challenging. And I just remembered it's episode, I can't remember the number, but season two with Jordan Kensley. We talk about censorship, shadow banning, all of that stuff. So go listen if you have not listened already. But with that, I want to come shift the conversation over to our Q&A, which our audience has so lovely, lovingly <laughs> sent in like a billion questions, <laughs> which I'm really excited for. But are you ready to go into that portion of the show? Yes. Have I? How, yes. Let's do it. <laughs> have I answered everything that you need? Do you? How, how's it going? Oh, no. It's great. This is like wonderful. So okay, great. Thank you so much for all of your knowledge and expertise and just like, no worries. going into detail. I love it. <laughs> so I guess the first question is, has she ever thought about dancing? Um, okay. So obviously – it's the, like the reason why people dance is because it's the, the most lucrative job. I would, I would like to say in the entire world, mm-hmm. but <laughs> um, no, I haven't because um, I'm not good at dancing and it's really hard. And I'm sure that like you staff as an uh, instructor and professional dancer and someone that um, is trained in dancing you know that. Um, so it's not like you can just uh, sh- get on there and know what you're doing and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started dance or when I started bartending, I would watch the girls and like their athletic capability. And um, yeah, I was like, I really want to learn how to do the splits. So my 2021 goal was to learn how to do the splits. And it's been an entire year and I don't, I can't do it. Let so. me help you. <laughs> So no, I can't even lift myself up on the pole and I don't go on stage. It's like, I, um, I wouldn't like, yeah, it makes great money, but no, I don't have the ability. So thank you. (laughs) Next time I'm in, I'm going to give you a tutorial. (laughs) I would would love, I would give it a try for sure, but I'm, yeah, I'm not talented like that. You are talented though. (laughs) Thank you. And other things. (laughs) Um, What is the toughest challenge you've had so far running the club? Uh, definitely the pandemic yeah. and the regulation. And I think also, um, I think that being, when they said, so there was a point where they were like, oh, there's only one strip club open, uh, left open in all of the country. And that to me wasn't an accomplishment. To me, that felt like, um, the industry was collapsing. Yeah. And it it broke my heart, you know? Um, So I, it also felt like there was a target on my back. Mm. So it's like, why, why are we still open? Why are we still capable of being open? Why are we still making this decision? So the the pandemic was really hard because it tested all of our limits. Um, Totally. We felt the stress of, yeah, I think that another thing was like the mental health and like, the stress of everybody. Um, so that was really challenging, not only the loss of compensation and money, because like, that's why we're all here in the first place. And I, I always have conversations about money, like, especially as a human resources professional, like with wages and stuff, like let's have healthy, transparent conversations about money. So, um, I think the, yeah, the biggest challenge was definitely 
the unpredictable loss in wage for myself, the staff, um, the business as a whole, because my family uh, takes loss of the profits. Um, And also, and the inability to plan. And then if the pandemic, I would, if you, if the pandemic didn't exist, um, I would say then what I touched on before, the biggest challenge would be um, the regulation of social media. Right. Right. Great answer. Um, can you ask Jade to break down the VIP dancing process? Lots of new dancers are confused by this. So once again, anything that I say about procedures and processes only stand at Shaker Show Lounge. So anything at any other bars, they do not, uh, those clubs have their own processes in place and, um, yeah, and they're great. And, uh, so for us, for our VIP dancing process, um, obviously that's different for the customer, um, our staff and the dancer. So do you mean by for the, I I guess a dancer asked this. Yeah. I think it came from a dancer if I recall correctly. Okay. So for, What's the sorry? Can you give me the question? Oh one more yeah, time? sorry. It's um. Could you ask Jade to break down the VIP dancing process? Okay, I'm gonna take that as what is it? What what happens? Imagine you're hired as a VIP and like, um, what? That's how I'm gonna say it. Yeah. So I'm gonna interpret this as okay. So I um imagine that um sugar cane. Uh, messaged me on the Instagram or called or stopped by and she is hired uh, to do VIP shift. So Sugarcane is going to come to work completely ready because we don't have the VIP girls go in the dancer room. So she's going to come to work um, with her hair and makeup done, looking polished, and she's going to come in her civilian clothes, outdoor comfortable, and bring her change of clothes uh, for the floor. And then she's going to arrive by 10 p.m. at the late. And when she arrives, she's going to come into um, or greet the bartender um, and she's going to pay a floor fee. And the floor fee, the way that I see it is um, you're either either booked for the bar, you're an employee of the bar, you pay cover as a patron or you pay floor fee, which is technically um, VIP dancer cover. So you're paying that to tip out all the staff to provide you services for the night. So people watching the cameras, um, the bouncers protecting you and uh, taking care of any patronage that might act out, um, take care of the VIP rooms, all that. And then the bartender taking care of all of the dances for the evening. Yes. So you're going to pay your floor fee. Ours is $50. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're going to get ready and then you're going to head out to the floor and and do your dances. Um, another thing that we are totally open to is that if it's, um, if it is accommodating with, um, and this is actually something that Shakers is pretty known for because we are, like I said, the more local and like, um, local talent, like upcoming talent. Yeah. That's maybe a better, That's a great- up and coming talent. <laughs> there we, go. Um, we are one of the clubs, um, the, it's the, one of the first clubs to put people on a stage when they're in their up and coming or like baby stripper years. Right. So uh, a lot of the time, if you're a VIP girl and you're like, I want to get on stage, I want to try dancing. Um, if it works in accordance with the schedule for the evening, a lot of girls will get on stage and try try a show or a half show for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have some deals for dances where you can do, I think we have two for ones on 
Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, um, yeah I, I haven't worked a Tuesday or Wednesday in a while, so <laughs> <laughs> that's just why. So. Cool. That is yeah. the most eloquent answer ever. That was so perfect. And always, oh. the, always, always ask the customer to pay you up front. Yeah. Like, always ask for cash first. And if if they don't have it, walk their ass to the ATM. Like, yeah, exactly. A, a, a long, beautiful walk to the ATM. <laughs> I have signs in the rooms that say, pay, must pay cash first because if someone comes to me and they're like, oh, my person can't pay me. And I'm like, well, you need to pay me. But it's, it's, these are the lessons learned. And, you know, I'm, that, that's why they call me a hard ass because I would rather teach them these lessons than someone else mean. Here we so. go. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we already kind of like, you already answered this throughout the show, but how did you buy a strip club at such a young age? I feel like we don't really need to answer that question unless there's something else you want. I didn't buy the strip no. club. No. <laughs> It, it, it's what what is it called generational wealth that's what there we people, go <laughs> that's what people would say but it's not easy and I definitely it's definitely not just handed to me no. that's for sure no definitely not no. I work seven days a week and the expectations are very high here we go no pressure right <laughs> <laughs> um how do you work with the dancers to ensure everyone is happy with the arrangement that doesn't, that's impossible. Yeah, it is impossible. <laughs> Can't make everyone happy. So <laughs> I actually wrote this down. I wrote this down. Um, and this is a, um, I wrote down this quote um, because I was like, I was just making notes and stuff, like trying to get inspired. <laughs> and um, so I was in a sorority for four years at UBC. And um, it, it's like, the first year that you're in the sorority is really fun. And then the second year, uh, you learn that the re- the existence of student-run organizations is based on the volunteers that um, continue their existence ba- because of, um, like, executive boards. So I then got involved with uh, the student governance on with my sorority. And so sisterhood and governance um, became ingrained into me during my developmental years and I was on all these exec boards and when an entire room of college girls is looking at you for an answer, you learn pretty quickly that there's no way to make everybody happy. So true. So like (laughs) I have been put put up on the stage and ripped apart by the sorority sisters early before that I learned there's no way Yeah. when even an attempt to make people happy, even to take care of people, even there's no way to please everybody. And um, I just learned to do what's right. Yep. Yeah. That's a great answer. Do what's right. <laughs> yeah, do what's right. Because it doesn't break the law and it doesn't hurt people. Exactly. Yeah. And they'll get over it. So I always do what's right. There we go. What's going to prevent the most damage. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, what's the best for damage control? <laughs> yeah. And happiness doesn't make money. So. Yeah. No productivity does. So there we go. From a customer's viewpoint, how do you differentiate yourself from other clubs? I think we touched on that a little bit, but if there's anything else we want to add, feel free to. Um, well, we don't serve food. So that's one thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, we uh, geographically were located um, in, I think I mentioned that too, we're the only club east of the bridge or I guess like east of downtown. 
Yes. So uh, we cater to a geographic location for people in the suburbs, I guess. So they don't have to drive as far to go downtown. Um, they can also see, we also book all of the same dancers and all of the same women as all the clubs downtown. So they don't have to drive as far to see um, someone that they would like to, or maybe their favorite performer. Um, so, and then, uh, like I said, up and coming talent, and I'm going to be working on that. Um, also this year, I want to integrate more um shows and more aspects of the community yeah i was thinking like i know that this is kind of far-fetched but i kind of wanted to do a drag show (gasps) oh please i would yeah i I know i thought that that was really cool yeah i I don't know i i don't really know where to start but that's kind of my random idea so maybe someone will hear this and then they'll be like i know where to start so but i was really hoping to focus on like the wally surrey langley lower mainland community because i know that um downtown everybody has that they have that community there so i really wanted to like be able to focus or um you know give the stars of the suburbs somewhere that they could they could do their thing I will message you after and I might have some people to connect you with. So Cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I will let you know after this, <laughs> we're done recording. Cool. <laughs> That's really cool though. I, I really hope that that can happen. Like that'd be really, really awesome. I, I would be so enthused to see that. So yeah. And I was, because another thing is that um, I don't even have to worry about having a crowd for that or someone to sell to, because I know that like the community within our industry would love to see that like performers like you and like everybody that loves to perform they love to watch other people perform yeah so they would they would love to take a night off and just um see something else see something different and like support another uh group so cool okay well fingers crossed in that you'll have to keep us posted (laughs) how do you make sure baby strippers have a positive experience okay so another thing about like um Obviously, there's courtesy and rules to being a dancer. Excuse me. Maybe you can speak to this better than I can because I don't even really know this. And this is another thing where <laughs> when I came into the industry, um, I, I had to learn. This is These are the things where I was like, okay, Jade, pump the brakes. Like, you, you don't know how to, like, own and operate a strip club. When mm-hmm. it was like, I accidentally turned, I remember I accidentally turned the lights on before someone had, like, walked off stage. And then my security <laughs> came over and he'd be like, you need to wait until she's off stage and she has her clothes on to turn the lights on. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's just little things like that. Um, but for baby strippers and protecting people and whatever, I don't get involved in drama on the floor. And I know that there's a lot of like fighting back and forth and animosity and, you know, the enemy and the enemy within um, with women and like fighting over customers and stuff. And I know that that's probably a narrative about protecting girls and um mean girls and this and that um but I think that this is actually um something that's like also great about the whole like you can't fuck your way to the top with me um so something that you you actually have to bring your all to the table yeah um so to do well at shakers you have to well there's only one way to be successful at shakers. Um, you have to come with a good attitude. Yes. You have to come, uh, play fair and you have to, um, work hard and, um, treat other one, uh, other people around you and the staff kindly. And yeah, yeah, if you're just because you're hot doesn't mean that you can be an asshole. 
Yes. And just because you make money and you're hot doesn't mean that you can be an asshole. So there's, there's, um, that's how I think that I create an environment or a workplace that's emotionally safe for everybody. Um, not only baby servers, but for everyone in there is by, um, you know, I really encourage women to, if they're on like an angry phone call or if they're pissed off or if they're mad at me, I say like, go take your phone call outside because like maybe so-and-so can't like mediate their emotions as well as you can. And I say like, don't talk shit in the change room. Um, I just really encourage like a healthy, you know, maybe I'm making it worse. Maybe I'm making it better, but, um, yeah, I just don't, there's no way that there can be like, uh, sexualized favoritism with me. So I just try and create like, um, a level playing field that's based off of good attitudes and like actual good performance. Yeah. It's just really simple. As you said, like you should definitely come with a good mindset. Cause yes, I know we have all, we all have our bad days where you're like, oh, I really don't want to be here or like yeah. something happened and stuff like that. But you kind of kind of like change your mindset when you're in the club and trying to sell dances and stuff. Cause that's going to come off on the customer too. And they're going to sense that. Another thing I always tell people too, is that you need to remember how you look to someone else. And like, if you are like, clustering up with your friends because like you know like dancers and workers and colleagues and everything like you're friends and when you are all sitting together in the corner like you look intimidating you look mean like you look unapproachable i i always remind people to approach customers and um to not look cliquey and to look kind and to look warm and to have a smile on their face and to um sell the experience of company and empathy. And if you're already sitting with like your group or like your crowd, you're not going to achieve that. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you on that. (laughs) (laughs) I try not to be like that. I really, if if, if anything, I'm a loner sometimes too. That's a good thing. It's great to be a loner because if you're a loner, someone will come up to you and be like, why are you alone? You'll be like, I was waiting for you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Play that to your benefit. Yeah. (laughs) So just a few more questions here, Jade. I know we're a little bit over in time, but just three more questions. So in an industry that seems really, quote unquote, sexy from the outside, what are the really unsexy parts of the job in the industry? The worst uh, part of the industry and the nastiest part of it, and it's not women hating themselves. It's not women hating each other. It is addiction. And it is like any other hospitality job. Um, It is where alcohol abuse runs rampant because of the lifestyle, the schedule, and the accessibility to alcohol. Um, I think culturally, it's like you're working at a time where people are partying. And you're working at a, you're awake at a time where people are either sleeping and then you're sleeping at a time where people are awake. So you're exhausted. Um, you're working long hours. Another thing, you're socializing so much. So if you're not in the mood to socialize, you may take a performance enhancer. Um, and the turnover competition and expectations of this industry are, well, for they're crazy to start off with. Um, but they're also subjective based on everybody's personal biases. Mm. So if people are going through things that make them, you know, more or like personal traumas, you know, that uh, makes them more susceptible to certain things. So substance consumption and substance abuse, nobody's ever tried to get sober in a bar. 
So I think that that's one of the biggest problems is addiction and the normalization of it. And it's, it is hidden so easily. And um, yeah, I think uh, it's another thing is that um, I think the whole culture I was thinking about this too, because I see it in like my corporate job, um, Mm -hmm. the culture of negotiation and alcohol and like sales and alcohol. And it's like, well, if you're not a dancer and where do you go to close a deal, right? Like a bar, like lunch, like you go to the club to like close a deal. And it's like, when you are a dancer, like you're selling something too. And it's this whole narrative or like this culture around negotiation and sales. And like, even that is institutionalized as like, a practice or a part of like celebration and everything. So I don't know. I think that, uh, yeah, that's a really, um, you know, they say like mental health, beauty standards, everything. I think that, um, addiction and, uh, the impact that it has on people's health, aging, everything, um, is really, really, is really hard. Yeah. Mm, That's really interesting. Like, for myself personally, and I'm, I know I'm not the focus of the episode, but like myself personally, and with many of the dancers that are on the circuit, like a lot of us don't drink. Um, I know. But and I do know some dancers that do have like some, like they like to drink after they're done work and whatnot. Um, luckily, I have not encountered anyone, at least n- not in my experience, that, and like no one's really had any like addiction problems. No, and I think that there's also a stigma around like, I don't want this to like, because I don't think that this is what the thing is. I think people are like, oh, you have to be fucked up to do your job, which is not the case. Oh yeah, that's a total like- This is a total (laughs) myth. Yeah, it's totally a myth. uh, Totally a myth. (laughs) And it's a total stereotype, but, and I think it's because it's like, um. I read this quote that was like, if your client orders a wine, you're certainly not ordering a Diet Coke. And it has to do with like the culture of matching someone to like convince them or to negotiate or something. And it's like, if you're trying to like sell a dance to someone you want, like I'll make girls fake drinks all the time, you know, but it's like, why is it a fake drink? Right. Right. So it's this culture of consumption and stuff and like tricking people and like alcohol having to be a part of the conversation. We're like, oh, can I buy you a drink? You know? Interesting. Yeah. That's really fascinating. I think like, especially when I talk with a lot of dancers from Europe or like any country that has champagne rooms, I know there's a lot of like, oh my gosh, I can't, like, you better like champagne if you want to do this job. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, um, just having like you mentioned the fake drinks, um, but like kind of like it's a it's almost like a facade. I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but like a facade that like we have to keep up with this lifestyle. Yeah, you know, and that that can be challenging for sure. A hundred percent, and I think that um, I think that. Sorry, del- delete that part. I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, don't worry, I will delete it. <laughs> I think good. that one more. Th- I think I had an important, important part of this. Um, yeah, because I wanted to say that um, the stereotype is wrong. Because I think that um, a lot of people don't understand that dancers love to dance because they love to perform, not because yeah, <laughs> yeah they love yeah. to perform. 
Um, we do. Like that's what the reason I keep doing it because I love dancing. I love the performance aspect of it and being able to connect with people and then the looks on their faces and be like, oh my God, yeah. this is amazing. Like it's it's so rewarding. So rewarding. What's the most lucrative? Dances, alcohol, sales, or other? For who? I like know. I guess for the club. Um, it really depends on who's in the club. So it depends oh. on the client. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, if there's uh, on this note, if there's someone that's sober in the club, they're not going to be purchasing any alcohol. Right. I would say that the most lucrative is cover because um, <laughs> if you you need to get the person there for them to start spending money. Uh, so that's the most promising or the most uh, predictable. Yeah. Very consistent. <laughs> very consistent. Right. So it's like if you get a customer, they're definitely paying cover. I would say um, it really just depends on the, what the consumer wants. Right. Because mm-hmm. as an entertainment lounge or as an exotic show lounge, um, we unfortunately we are only open during the evenings. That is something we're working on um, getting as we expand and um as we, like I said, target another audience, it's because we want to be able to show the sports games and stuff. Yeah. Um, because we want to be able to cater to a larger crowd. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I uh, I think that it really depends on what the person wants. Right. Because if you don't drink, you're not going to be ordering beers. Yeah. And you would hope that people are there for dances. You would hope. You, you would hope that people are there for dances. <laughs> I hope, I hope the people there are well behaved. Yeah. And they're for there for a good time and a long time. Because the yeah. longer that they're there, I guess from a management perspective, the most lucrative customer is one that comes, behaves, and stays for a while. Yeah. And there are some great people that come. There yeah. are. Yeah. So many, so many great regulars there. So many. Okay, Jade, last question. Are you ready for it? Yes. Okay. Have you experienced any outside pressures? And I don't have any context in that, so I'll let you <laughs> interpret it the way that you'd like to interpret it. Okay. Um, yes. I think that there's a couple of outside pressures. Um, I think the conversation around the um, strip club industry, and then mm-hmm. I think also the attempt to regulate the strip club industry. Right. So I think the pressure would be uh, the regulators and um, yeah, we'll start, we'll start with that. I don't, I think, um, I think because both of them impact business, but they also impact kind of the structure of the industry. So the British Columbia industry is very small. Every single person knows each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's what they say with everything, you know, that's what we also say in construction. They say, don't ever do anything in construction because um, you'll never get another job, but you will get another job in strip club industry if you do anything dumb, but, um, <laughs> but um, basically that means that, the people, and this has to do also with um, my experience with my staff, is that the people that are here are here for a reason. They know the industry in and out. Um, they've been doing it for a long time. And it is really specialized in terms where you're dealing with a lot of sensitive information, sensitive topics, um, sex workers being a marginalized group. Um, it's not for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that 
we get these, you know, notices from, especially around the pandemic, when people would come in and they say, oh, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. And it's like, I don't really know the difference between a Shakespeare play and dancers on stage because they're naked, you know? <laughs> um, but I think that uh, regulation from outside pressures is uh, at the end of the day, more detrimental to the safety of sex workers than helpful. Because I think that when you take away any market, it creates an underground economy. So right now, clubs who are run by these pros um, who have been in the industry for so long, uh, these veterans, um, and not just at my place, but at the other clubs in BC, there are some really, really lovely, amazing people and with the BC agency. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason why they're there is they know that place and they um, care a lot about the places and they care a lot about the women as they come in and as they go out. Right. Um, but they know how to run these places and they know how to watch the cameras and they know what kind of behavior is acceptable um, based on empirical evidence, based on what works, based on what, what doesn't, not based on um, code on paper or policy on paper. So they're not just checking in once in a while. They're there. They've lived the experience. They've, they know it works. Um, but one of the problems with uh, the pandemic and everything is that when you take away strip clubs, um, it doesn't take away strippers. Yeah. So people yep. still need jobs and people are still going to work. And it unfortunately creates an underground economy of unregulated um, dancers working. And that's where you get problems of like, that's where real recruitment for trafficking and real recruitment for, um, or like sexualized violence happens. And mm -hmm. like, that's where real um, danger to like bodily autonomy uh, is right. threatened. Yeah. So I think that one of the things that the clubs do and the people, the amazing people that um, dedicate their time uh, and get paid really well for it. Uh, that they, they keep the dancers safe by running the clubs uh, up to regulation, up to provincial code, up to, you know, liquor code, li liquor standard. Um, but they really give the dancers a place that they can work uh, mm -hmm. that is safe. Yeah. So that outside yeah. pressure is really shitty because, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think the industry is dying is because um, the government thinks that it's like breeds crime. But I think right. that it, uh, I think that it actually does the opposite. But um, you have you can't see that perspective unless you're on the inside. Totally. So and then another pressure, um, I think, is just like the cultural perception of strip clubs and that yeah. women women don't want to dance, so then it's their last resort, and it's like that's somebody's daughter. It's like hell yeah, it is. Um. <laughs> you're helping pay her rent. <laughs> And um, I, so I think that, like, when I came over to the club, obviously, everyone that I knew in uh, Surrey, I was like, come on over, like, come to Shakers, like, let's do it. And I remember some of the responses, people were like, oh, my parents would kill me if they found out I was hanging out at a strip club. And oh I was God. like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, mean? I think that one of the conversations is that, you know, they feel bad you know, watching dancers or they feel bad or they feel like they're exploiting women. And um, I think that what we need to do is relearn this word of yeah. exploitation um, and understand that 
dancers are benefiting from a um, productive and respectful experience with a customer. Yes. And then we choose to be there. And then you choose to be there and then you want to be there and have a productive and respectful um, experience is that you want to provide like that fantasy, like experience for a customer in exchange for money. Like what's respect, what's disrespectful and exploitative is like when they say, can I have something for free? And you're like, this Uh, is my job. Like, yeah. (laughs) Do you go to a restaurant and ask for your meal for free? Like, no, no. But (laughs) I think that um, we just need to like relearn uh, about uh, this is like a normal thing and that it's like a choice, right? 100%. And I think that people need to understand that um, women or dancers, not just women, because my grandma made a good point and she's like, anyone that wants to be a dancer can be a dancer. When you say the podcast, like make sure that you say people, um, which I thought was really rad of her. And uh, people so that want yeah, progressive grandma. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> So people that want to be dancers, um, they do it because, not because they have to, not because they're forced. I mean, maybe they are, um, but I, I don't know any that do. They do it because it pays well and because a lot yeah. of them um, get to perform. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the conversation. I had a conversation actually on Saturday night with um, two of my friends and they said that when you go on stage, it's like nothing else. You become this person and to have that experience is like you don't get it in any other industry you don't it's you can't like it's it's a really really unique experience and it's really hard to explain but like it's the performance ship the connection you get with people like it's you really can't find that in other areas unless it's like something that's like artistic or another performance based kind of gig yeah well I, i saw this it's like i work in construction and human resources during the day and it's like people go into this um, industry and trades and construction because they're good with their hands Mm -hmm. or, you know, they, um, they like to build and you go into dancing because you like to perform, right? You wouldn't build, uh, go into plumbing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can, but (laughs) yeah, I I know, I know a plumber dancer. She's not plumbing anymore, but um, I tried to hire her. So (laughs) But I just say, yeah, I, uh, I, I read this quote also that was like the, there's a social hierarchy for skilled labor and it taught us Ooh. that sexual energy, empathy, and then performance is less important than the skills that teach you to how to build a house, which I disagree with because yeah. both of them are essential for human existence. Definitely. Yeah. So fascinating. Oh my gosh. Jade. Thanks. This was awesome. That 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 last answer, the last question, I think is a really great way of wrapping up the show. And the whole point I brought you on is to like, yeah, to normalize this and to have this conversation, to open discussion, to unlearn what society has taught us about sex work. So I think that's a perfect point to, to end the show. But before I let you go, where can we find you? You can find... Well, most importantly, you can find me at Shaker Show Lounge. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can find me um, at Shaker Show Lounge on Instagram and at Shaker Show Lounge on Facebook. And um, yeah, that's that's it. You don't need to know about my personal stuff. So, <laughs> or you can find me on LinkedIn. So there. We go. <laughs> 
Well, it was a pleasure. And don't run away just yet because it's going to be new episodes every single Sunday. It's Strip by Sia on Instagram. Sia Steps is my personal. Strip by Sia on Twitter. Don't forget to become a patron or maybe consider becoming a patron on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strip by Sia. And that is it for today. So thank you so much, Jade, for coming on the show. And we'll catch everyone in for another episode next week. Bye. You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D, graphic design by Maria Bellandarama, and photography by Ian Davern.